have you had a good time, everybody? Come on, is your heart full? I think really God did something very, very special uh, this week. I want you to remain standing. And um, first of all, I want to say uh, it is really it's the honor of, of me and my team to be able to host this. But the real heroes for us are the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who took off work this week to serve you. Would you show your love to the Dream Team? Come on, let them hear you out in the foyers. We love you. I hope you can hear us right now. You're my heroes. Come on, show your love to them. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that. I'm gonna get my invitation for you to join us next year, April 9th and 10th. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna host it one more year, and then we our our plan is to well I won't even tell you what our plan is. We've got a very special occasion for our 20. 20th year we're gonna we're gonna celebrate in style we'll tell you about that more later but uh, we're gonna host it again uh, next year I want you to sign up it will fill up ahead so be sure to do that a lot of you have asked about either how to be a church planter one of our church planters um, I hope this doesn't sound impersonal but the first step is just go online and see how we do it connect with us and if you'll do any of that connect online uh, at, at arcchurches.com, our team will contact you immediately and take those steps with you, and we would love to walk alongside you. If you're already a church and you would like to be a, be a part of this with us, you want to—I I always call it be, a, be an owner in the organization. You want to have—you want to be a stockholder in the organization. You want to—you want to sow into it and have it as your own inheritance as well. Um, we don't want to be an organization that you give to. We want to be an organization that you can join. And so we, we'd ask you to come alongside us. All that's on that site as well. Those are the easiest ways to do it if you'd like to become an ARC partner and be a part of this with us. I have the incredible honor of introducing someone who doesn't need an introduction, but I was looking forward to this moment just because I feel like, I feel like you know, we owe a debt of gratitude to all things Hillsong. They have stewarded the worship anointing for the body of Christ and have served us so extremely well. Come on, really show your love. And, uh, it's really true. But also, way beyond worship, um, for the past 10 years, and I want to say this sincerely, Pastor Brian, there's not been another leader in the past 10 years that has added more to my life than you have. Um, I, I take time off in June, and then I go straight from my time off in June, have for the past more than 10 years to go to the Hillsong Conference. It's the only conference I go to every single year other than this one because it feeds me so much. It feeds my soul. And it's not just the worship environment, it's the culture. So I'll even encourage you guys as you're listening to him speak, there'll be great content. But beyond that, there's a culture behind all things Hillsong um, of empowering young leaders, the fathering that we talked about last night, the worship, the innocence, the passion for God, the way they lift up the name of Jesus. And I just want to personally in this spot in front of all my friends tell you thank you for being a leader that I can follow. You're a hero to me. Come on, show your love to Pastor Brian Houston. to be at the ARC conference with all of you guys in the overflows online. It's always a great honor to be here amongst so many high-powered people. Wow. And well, this morning was incredible. Loved it. Uh, Miles McPherson was absolutely awesome. His church is actually my church. The reason for that is I beat him in a bet. That's a fact. He didn't believe a rugby player could run as fast as he could. And so we bet if I was right, I took on Rock Church in San Diego. If he was right, Hillsong was his. So we went online, Google, and sure enough, I have a church in San Diego. I just, I just let him stay there for now. And uh, he was incredible. And then, of course, uh, the interview with Carl and uh, Dino was just amazing. And really the whole, and then John Gray, he'll be a good preacher when he grows up. And so I actually love I love the spirit behind this art movement. It definitely has something to it. It's very relational. And in the USA, as an observer for many, many years, I think one of the greatest things that I see happening in today's generation is just to see how much more relational 
ministries and pastors and leaders and churches have become in the USA. And so you guys have had a big part of that. Awesome to be with the Surratts also. And uh, not only is Pastor Chris Hodges this year coming to Hillsong, he's one of our key speakers at the Hillsong Conference this year. And uh, he's going to be in Sydney and in London, so some of you guys should come with him and support him if he really is a friend, if he really is a mentor. It's not that hard for you to go to Australia to support him, surely. I mean, I would do that for my mentor. I would do that for my friends. Anyway, always good to be with uh, Pastor Chris and Tammy. And, uh, you know, back here, there's a couple. Some of you would know them. In fact, lots of you would know them, Casey and Wendy Tree. So 1989, I was 35. I came to America on something of a fact-finding trip. I didn't really know anyone, had no real relationship with any pastors, any leaders, anyone in America. So it was hooked up for me to go and visit Casey. So I went there, Seattle, and they just took us in. For the time I was there, they invited me to their home, and he even took me into one of their board meetings. And it was kind of one of those board meetings too, you know. A little bit of grit going on in the board meeting and I'm sitting there in the middle of it all and a year later he invites me to come and speak at his conference. The Vision Conference was a big conference with some of the great names from around the USA and I just was, what am I doing here? And I asked him afterwards, I said, Casey, you never ever heard me preach. Why, Why did you invite me? He said, I liked your spirit. I never forgot that. I hope I've still got the kind of spirit you like. And um, so, at that conference, I met a whole lot of people, pastors and leaders, and really from that is where so much has opened up for us in our world here in America. So can we give Casey and Wendy Treat down here a big thank you for the impact they had on my life. Yeah. Awesome. Father, we're so grateful to be together. Always good to be able to gather together around the name of Jesus. And I thank you, Father, for the pastors and the leaders and the ministries and the would-be church planters and the church planters that are here. And I thank you for the God appointment on their life. I thank you, Father, that you're leading us and you're guiding us. We're on this great adventure called the will of God. And I pray for them right now, Lord, whatever's going on in their world. And I thank you, Father. We can trust you with our very lives and we can trust you with our future. In you, there is always more. And I'm speaking that more into the lives of your people tonight. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. You guys can be seated. There may not be too many people in the room who don't know that I have recently released a book called There Is More. Uh, There's more of them out there in the foyer. Actually, they don't have a whole lot out there. There's not many at all, but I am going to go out and sign books straight after. And it really is... On Ephesians 3, we know the verse. It's a beautiful verse, verse 20. In the message, it says, God can do anything you know. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. There's some pretty wild dreams in this room. More than your wildest dreams. And he does it not by pushing us around, but by working in us. His Spirit working deeply and gently within us. Able to do exceeding abundant and above anything we could ever ask or think according to what His power that works in us. I believe with all my heart that God has for you more purpose, more promise, more of His goodness, more of His plan. I believe God has so much more for you. Well, for us, it started with the book that I wrote. And then Brooke Lidgewood, who these days heads up Hillsong Worship, came to me and said she wanted to call our new live worship album, uh, There Is More. And so she did that. By the way, in its first week, last week, there were 8 million streams. It's the most of any Christian record in history. So praise God for that. Um, So that was There Is More. Our conferences are called there is more. And so we came into this year and our theme was there is more. So I guess you get the idea at Hillsong, we're believing God's got so much more for us. 
And I already said it, but I believe God's got so much more for you. So we came into the year believing we would be living larger, expecting greater, digging deeper, and going further than we ever have before. Living larger, expecting greater, digging deeper, and going further. That thought of digging deeper, I wonder if God has so much more for you. And if you would just dig a little deeper, dig deeper into the things of God, dig deeper into His promise in your life. I wonder if what God has there for you, refreshing and new life and new goodness. Second Kings chapter 3 tells a story of Elisha who, well, their animals were parched, they had no water and their cattle had no water. And it tells us in verse 15, Genesis of 2 Kings chapter 3, that Elisha said, now bring the musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him, the Scripture says. Well, it goes on and it says, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Dig a little deeper. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. There's not going to be rain. There's not going to be wind. And yet this valley will be filled with water, the Scripture says, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. Their horses had no water. Their cattle had no water. They were parched. It was barren. But the word of the Lord was, you just got to dig a little deeper. Start digging ditches. Well, scholars would say all they had to do, in fact, was dig down through the sand four foot and they hit rock. And where the rock was, the water was already flowing. They just had to dig a little deeper. I'm speaking to seasoned leaders, seasoned pastors, those of us who have been doing what we do for a long time. And I wonder if sometimes we get so used to doing things the way we do and at the level that we do, that we don't even consider that perhaps if I was just to dig a little deeper, commit to going a little further, that God may have a whole lot more for me. He wants us to dig deeper. And what makes us dig deeper? I don't think success makes anyone dig deeper. Thank God when He blesses us. Thank God when His hand is on us. But success, it doesn't necessarily make you dig any deeper. I don't think popularity makes anyone dig any deeper. I'm a popular guy. Look at me. <laughs> Popularity doesn't make anyone dig any deeper. Happiness even. Happiness, you're content. You're happy. It doesn't necessarily make you dig any deeper. <sighs> I don't think our gift and talent make us dig any deeper. Thank God for the gifts He gives us, but those are the things we're good at. And so our gifts can take us so far, but they can't take us all the way to what God's got for us. So what does make us dig deeper? Sometimes it's the things we don't want in our lives. And yet if you're really going to last the distance as a leader without being a prophet of doom, to some level they will be a part of your life. Things like pain make us dig deeper. Loss. Loss affects everybody to some degree. For some of the most horrific losses you can imagine all the way through. To loss in so many different areas. Loss makes people dig deeper because they're desperate. Weakness makes people dig deeper. When you're overwhelmed, when you're out of your depth, when you don't have control. I've been out of my depth for 40 years. That makes me dig a little deeper. Hey, I think hunger, desperation, it makes us dig deeper. No one wants pain in their lives. We don't glorify pain. We don't welcome pain. But the truth is, part of the journey involves pain. And the devil, he would love to use it to devastate and to destroy, to decimate, to get us to quit. In my book, one of the chapters is disappointment and appointment. God gives you an appointment, a church to plant, something to do. And the devil would try to use disappointment, dis going in the other direction. 
to get you off course with your God-given appointment. There's so many things that can bring pain into our lives as leaders and as pastors. I think only pastors know some of the pain that oftentimes can connect to what we do. Maybe no one else even understands and maybe you hold that deeply on the inside. Thank God for the people because my overwhelming experience with people is they're incredible. But we all have pain with people somewhere along the way. And it can be real pain. And with that sense of pain comes a sense of loss. And so I know that God can turn pain into power. This room... There's many, many people in different seasons in life and some right now are on a high success and things are going your way and your gifts and talents are opening the door and it's amazing. Thank God for it, but I have to say there are others here. Some it's literal physical pain. Some people it may be a heartache, a heartbreak, broken relationship, maybe one of your kids, your teenage kids, your adult kids. And whatever's going on in their world, it just is bringing you so much pain. And it's real pain. And with that pain comes a sense of loss. Because you think about what you believe for for them and what you hope for for them. And all of a sudden, it seems like so much of that has been ripped out from underneath you and ripped out from underneath them. There's people here who maybe in church life are going through financial pain. Or in your personal life, going through financial pain. It may be just some deep-seated thing that you carry on your own, but pain is a real part of life. It started all the way back with the fall. After Adam and Eve sinned at the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis 3 verse 16, you know what God said to the woman? He said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. It goes on and says, in pain you shall bring forth children. And a lot of women in here can identify with that. Even I, when my wife was giving birth to babies, had a lot of pain. I had to massage her and my thumb got so sore. <laughs> in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband. Do you know that literally means your desire shall be to control your husband. Yes, it does. And he shall rule over you. In other words, even marriage conflict started at the fall, but it was there, it's sin. The pain is first mentioned, but think of the blessing that comes from that pain. God can turn pain into power. And it's not till the end of the scripture, Revelation chapter 21 at the other end of the scripture, where there's four no mores, there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, for the former things are passed away. So whether we like it or not, pain is a part of the world that we live in. We know God's our healer. We know he's our deliverer. We know there's life after the tunnel. We know that God has so much more for us, but he obviously allows pain. It may come from the pit of hell itself, but he obviously allows it because Everybody at some time in life will face real seasons of pain. And some of that pain, so profound, so deep, it's hard for you to share. It can be so demoralizing. It can do so much to try to rob you and disappoint you and get you off your God-given appointment. With pain comes a sense of loss. Oftentimes, if maybe you've got physical pain and it's restricting you, you feel a sense of loss over all of those things you were still hoping to do and all of those dreams you still had. If, like I mentioned, one of your children, uh, there's something going on in their world and it's just bringing you pain. And with the pain, there's a sense of loss because you did. You just saw so much in them that now, at least at this time, seems to be wasted. Oftentimes in church life, when we do have painful times with people, there's a sense of loss you invested in them, you believed in them, you loved them, you trusted them, you gave of yourself to them. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, they've decided to dislocate themselves. There's a sense of loss. Here the devil has got certain agendas that he would love to take you out with or even to discourage you with. He would love to be able to rob you 
One of the things that happens with loss, happens with pain, is it paralyzes people. In other words, you just can't get past it. That hurt, that grief, that offense, that, that pain. People get caught there and it paralyzes them and it's such a tragedy. The devil would love you to stop. He'd love you to quit. He would love you to believe even, worst case, that you're damaged goods. He would love to have you lose sight of the future because where there is no future, there is no hope. The devil would love to paralyze you. I preached a message years ago. It was called the end of an era is not the completion of a destiny. And in that message, which I'm not going to preach again, but I'll tell you the opening story. It's a good story. I was in Dubai in the airport in uh, the Middle East and beautiful, beautiful airport. And there's a big, big, long escalator and there's a woman on the escalator, but there's hundreds of people on the escalator behind her. And she gets to the end and you can already see she, was, she didn't know what to do. She may not ever have seen a moving walkway before. And so what she did do is she just got her feet on a firm ground, but left no room behind. So there's hundreds of people still coming and they got nowhere to go. There were bags going everywhere. True story. There were bodies going everywhere. It was chaos. And the moral of the story is when something's over, don't stop. The devil would love to paralyze you. The end of an era is not the completion of a destiny. I had a very similar experience. When you fly a lot, you've got a lot of flying stories. I had a very similar experience in LAX. Just recently, I got off one of those big A380 planes. There were hundreds of people in them. And I'd come from London to LAX, and I love to get off the plane as quick as I can. I have one goal in the airport, that's to get through immigration and get out of there. I uh, have a hatred for the process between the plane and fresh air. I know it's a problem, I know. But we were all going down the escalator. So in LA, you come along a hallway and you go down an escalator. Everything was good except for at the bottom. There were these security doors shut from the other side. I don't think they were meant to be shut because there's hundreds of people. They start coming down that escalator. And if you can see the distance of floor between the bottom of the escalator and uh, the door that shut was from here to that front row there. And so it wasn't long before it started to become crowded. And then it started to become jammed and it became a chaos. And literally people are screaming and yelling and shouting and panicking and people are calling back up the escalator, turn it off, turn it off, because it was hot. There was no air conditioning in that part of the airport. And so it was really becoming a dangerous situation. And then you're not going to believe it. After maybe 10 minutes, they had shut off the escalator. Someone opened the door from the other side, had one look, and shut it again. <laughs> so people are banging and shouting. And See, here's the point. It was never designed to stop. And nor were you. And that's why don't let whatever's going on now have you camp where you're at and think there's no way forward here. Don't allow it to rob you and paralyze you because that's what the devil would love to do in Lamentations. Chapter 3, Lamentations. What a book. In the Bible, it's like Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Lamentations. In the middle of all those prophets and things. And of course, a lamentation is a lament. A lament is an expression of loss, an expression of pain. And so Jeremiah, he's reflecting on their loss of Jerusalem and the temple ruined. Really, it was just a, a book of sorrow and loss. But in the middle of it, in Lamentations chapter 3, this is what Jeremiah says, verse 22, through the Lord's mercies. We're not consumed. You got to decide in ministry. I'm not going to be consumed. If Bobby and I had let certain things consume us, we would have stopped a long time ago. We would have got off course with appointment a long time ago. And though the Lord's mercies, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because His compassion 
fails not. The Bible said, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in Him. You know, lamentation, the word, the actual Hebrew characters, if you were to literally translate those characters into English, it would be H-O-W, how. And it's appropriate because oftentimes, that's where we're at. How could this happen? Even at worst case, how could God do this to me? How could life be so cruel? How could ministry end up like this when God promised us so much? How can we move on from here? So easy to get robbed. And I noticed that the prayer tonight was about people facing difficult times. And in the morning sessions, there was reference to people in pain and in challenging times. And there's a reason it's referenced, not because we want to be filled with woe and woe is me and throw a pity party. You can throw a pity party, but no matter who you invite, only the devil's going to turn up. That's not the answer whatsoever. The devil wants to paralyze you. You know what? He loves you to withdraw. You've seen it in your church, pastors. You've seen how some people, maybe they genuinely lose a child or something desperate happens. And the next thing is, instead of pressing into God, David, in all his persecution and opposition, he was able to say, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that I will dwell in the... He ran to the house of God. And I love that. I love that because often when you need community and family, and conferences like this the most. I'm talking to the converted here because you're all here, but so easy because of where you're at to think people are talking about you, that somehow people are judging you, that you'll have to say where things are at and all of them are so happy and successful and wow, and, and you feel like, you know, you've got nothing really to share. So easy to withdraw. The devil loves it when people do that, when they draw back and Allow him to use it to rob them. I always feel like that's a tragedy when that happens. You see, the devil also, he would love people to get angry with God. Sometimes as pastors, we don't get angry with God in the sense that, you know, we all of a sudden completely lose our faith. And we don't withdraw in the sense that you don't go to church anymore. You're the pastor. You have to be there. But sometimes what you can do when it comes to your relationship with God, you can just maybe withdraw a little from the level of faith you had, the level of expectation, the dream he put in your spirit, the dream he put in your heart. You can so easily allow those things just to blunt something inside your spirit. And all of a sudden you're still there, you're still doing what you're doing, you're still here, but you don't quite have that passion. Cynicism starts from there. And all of a sudden, it's got your beat. It's so easy sometimes to want to withdraw. You ever noticed, if you follow Instagram, that when you are in miserable winter, everything's dead, Minnesota, <laughs> just snow a billion miles high. You go on Instagram, and here's all the Aussies. <laughs> Sun's out, gun's out. <laughs> Everyone's in the cafe. Swimming at Bondi Beach, summer clothes. It just, it's not, you just want to delete them. You just want to block them. You just, it makes you angry because it's not easy to be rejoicing with those who are rejoicing. Isn't it true when you're weeping? Not easy. And then, of course, we have our own winter. It's not quite like Minneapolis, but I know because I've just been in Minneapolis. The only thing worse than Minneapolis weather was Chicago weather. Anyways, it's, uh, you know, it's not nice. So that's one of the reasons why we try to withdraw. We can get angry with God. One of the amazing things about Job suffered so much pain, so much loss. And yet Job 1 verse 22, it says, In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with fault, nor charge God with wrong. And the other thing, of course, that the devil would love to do is get you blaming yourself. Start filling your life up with regret and start 
somehow think, you know, if we had to raise the kids differently, if maybe we hadn't done, and start beating yourself up. And that's a pit of hell as well. I tell you right now, the devil was going to try to use it to disappoint, to discourage, to paralyze, to withdraw, to get you perhaps to even start to pastor from a totally different frame. But to God, pain is power. Leprosy, of course, in Bible times was a plague. And you know that lepers, they had the isolation pain. They had to literally walk through the street shouting, unclean, unclean, so people could run away from them. And lepers in Bible times, often there'd be fingers missing or toes missing or limbs missing. It's like body parts missing. No wonder people didn't want to go close to them. Well, today, leprosy actually still exists. It's not the plague that it once was, but it's called Hansen's disease. And Hansen's disease, leprosy, what medical science knows now is it affects the sensory nerves right near the center, or rather right near the surface of your skin. So in other words, you could put your hand on a hot plate and feel nothing. You could break a leg and not even know it until you fell over. Because you wouldn't know it. That's why fingers were missing and toes were missing and body parts were missing because they couldn't feel pain. Pain is an indicator. God can use pain for His glory. He can use pain for His purpose. You see, God shows up in pain and pain becomes power. The pain of the cross became what? The power of the resurrection. True. The pain of the cross became the power of the resurrection. The devil would love to count you out. He goes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You're out. But you cooperate with the Holy Spirit and watch. You'll have a testimony of him going ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four. Three, two, one, you're in. You see, pain doesn't have to take anybody out. God turns it into power. He doesn't allow pain. It may not come from Him, but He obviously allows it. He doesn't allow seasons of pain in our life to destroy us. He allows it to empower us. Anyone here ever heard of an old preacher here in America called T.F. Tenney? Here's a wave. T.F. Tenney, and lots of you have. You know, T.F. Tenney, he says this about pain. He says, God whispers in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciousness or our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. C.S. Lewis said, pain is God's megaphone. In other words, you'll hear God's voice in times and seasons of pain and loss more than any other time in your life. You'll find in the worship, rather than just come in and enjoy the worship and the songs and the atmosphere, oh, in a season of pain, the words, the lyrics, it's like the song was written for you. The sense of the presence of God will so overwhelm you. Why? Because you will dig deeper in pain. You'll dig deeper in loss. You'll determine, God, I need answers. I need miracles. I need breakthroughs. And when we dig deeper, sometimes it's not even that far through the sand before we find the water flowing. It was supernatural water with Elisha because there was no rain, there was no wind. And yet the water was flowing and God's got supernatural answers for you as well. He really does. It's God's megaphone. David knew that. King David, I'm talking to preachers, he, he had so much pain, persecution, opposition. One of his sons was taken from him. He lost his son, he was dead, and another one of his sons, of course, was just so rebellious, and it ended up a grievous story for David, and so much pain. And in the longest psalm in the Bible, Psalm 119, he talks a lot about his pain. He says, constantly talking about what he called his affliction, but affliction is pain. And he says in verse 49, verse 50, Psalm 119, he said, remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my pain. This is my comfort in my affliction. 
for your word has given me life. Your word is life to me. And we know, you know, oftentimes in the good times, you'll skim through the Bible, you see something good, you'll be able to preach from that one maybe, but in a season of pain, you dig a little deeper. Suddenly verses you skimmed over, they leap out at you because God put it right there for you and for now and for that season. That's why pain becomes power. Suddenly now, the preacher and the teacher, it's like everyone else in the room wasn't even here. God put that on his heart for you because God turns up in pain. And David knew that in pain, God's word gave him life. I know that sometimes your greatest work, your greatest messages, your greatest teaching won't come out of the big successful times. They'll come out of your painful times. Some of the things that in pain we learn that helps us to lead others. God will turn pain into power every time if we just cooperate with the Holy Spirit. He will turn it into power every time. He doesn't authorize pain to break you. He authorizes it to make you. If you believe it, say amen. Shout hallelujah. Say, this is awesome, Brian. Thanks for that. That was totally, totally uncalled for. You just suddenly gave me an incredible encouragement. Wow, what a crowd you are. What a crowd. I like preaching way out here. It's awesome. Because I'm 64 and I like taking risks. There's a hole behind me. There's a floor in front of me, but... You know, you just sort of get preaching, don't you? And you just feel like you're Superman all of a sudden. You, nah, nothing's too hard all of a sudden. There's people here, and you've all had pain and seasons of life and ministry. Some of you I know, I know you've had seasons of pain. This guy had an open heart surgery. I'm sure that was painful, but that's physical pain. I'm sure there's been a whole lot of other pain in his life as well. No one worth their salt does anything significant for God without having to negotiate pain. Do you know athletes? Athletes, they train in pain. So they can play in pain. And so they can play through the pain. We've got professional athletes in our church around the world, like many of you do in your church, and in their pre-season, getting ready for the season. I watch these guys train, and they run sand dunes, and they run mountains, and they're lifting heavy weights, and... They are doing ridiculous, ridiculous things to take them to exhaustion because if they train in pain, they'll be able to play in pain and they'll be playing through the pain until they go on to all that's ahead for them. Well, do you know, your capacity for pain will determine your potential for growth. That's worth writing on your phone, by the way. Your capacity for pain will determine your potential for growth. God's got more for you. God's got more for you. And pain's not an end. It's not intended to paralyze you. It's not intended to stop you. When something's over, don't stop. The end of an era is not the completion of a destiny. There is more. There is more. There is more. Up there in the back section, there is more. In the overflow, online, God does have more for you. And so sometimes the training, we don't want it, is in pain. The Australian Tennis Open was only a couple of months ago, and the players were a guy called Novak Djokovic, if you know anything about tennis. He's one of the champions. who won many grand slams. And the other guy was a Frenchman called Gail Monfils. Well, they're playing in Australia, where down inside the arena on the court, they said it was 69 degrees Celsius. That is unbearable. It's inhumane. It would be something like 125, 130 degrees Fahrenheit. It's all right until you start trying to play professional tennis with humidity in that kind of weather. The Frenchman was doubled over between every single point. He was saying to the umpire, I'm going to collapse. They were pleading with the umpire to suspend the game. Every point, I'm going to collapse. I'm going to collapse. Valkovic, uh, the, the champion, he was as white as a ghost. It's like they were playing in slow motion. But you see, they'd trained in pain, which meant they could play in pain. And it meant they were still playing through the pain because there was more for them. 
and there's more for you. And sometimes I feel whether we agree with it or disagree with it, the pain becomes a training. It does increase our capacity so that it determines our potential for growth. Weightlifters, and I know a lot about this. <laughs> there used to be something there. It's just been a while. Weightlifters, they gain strength from the bar, but they also gain strength for the bar. In other words, from the bar, they're stronger, but they also are able to lift more. Why? Because they gain strength for the bar. They're called to be heavy lifters. This room in an art conference is filled with heavy lifters and potential heavy lifters. I don't know why you wouldn't be more excited about that. I'm calling you a heavy lifter. In other words, God's got a whole lot more for you. So much more for you. He wants to fulfill your dreams, your wildest dreams, and go so much further and take you so much beyond your wildest dreams. God can do anything you know, far above your wildest dreams. Hopefully this room is filled with wild dreams. Wild dreams. And of course the devil doesn't want that. He'd love to rob you and rip you off when it comes to the dreams that sometimes just absolutely fill our spirit. Bobby and I started out, I was a dreamer. I was, I was a dreamer. I had big dreams. I was only a Kiwi boy born in New Zealand and you know, I had big dreams. And <laughs> You know what, if you had have told me what was ahead for us, you would not have been able to convince me. You would not have been able to convince me. I've learned God can do anything. God can do anything. And so, let's think about the Apostle Paul. He had what he called his thorn in the flesh. Well, you know, it wasn't a thistle or a prickle. The word actually means a stake. And I'm not speaking about meat. <laughs> I'm talking about a tomato stake or a ten-peg stake. He had a giant stake. It was something significant. We don't know exactly what it was. But obviously it was something significant that caused pain. And he dealt with this and pleaded with God to take it from him. And yet still it was there and part of his life. And you know, he saw it as a gift from God. He said that because of the revelations he received, he could easily get conceited, get a little full of himself, a little proud. And so he saw that this stake in his flesh God was using to keep him on course and keep him on track the danger was because of his revelations his preaching, his teaching that he could get conceited there's people here like that I'm certainly not judging anyone in particular but some of you know you're good at what you do you know you're a great communicator. You know you're articulate. You know you're a bit of a gun. People have been telling you for a long time. Now we've talked about your liabilities. I wonder what your strengths are. Because the Bible says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Sometimes it's dependence on the Holy Spirit that we really need. Sometimes it's dependence on the Holy Spirit that will take us all the way to all that God has got for us. And so Paul has this, this stake in the flesh. And I guess he could identify with Jesus spikes. Not in a pitiful way. Resurrection life is our portion. The pain of the cross becomes the power of the resurrection. Not in a pitiful way. But it was a gift to him because it was enabling him to be the heavy lifter God had called him to be. David already mentioned Psalm 119, and in that Psalm, Psalm 119, David, he talks a lot about his pain. He talks a lot about his affliction. He says some quite radical things in verse 67. Listen to what David says. He said, before my pain, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Things were good. Life was good. I was on top. I was the golden boy. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. 
But now I keep your word. In other words, pain brought him closer to God. He must have digged a little deeper. David, he fought 66 battles and he won them all. Under David, Israel became a superpower. Literally, he ruled all the nations around and about him. His record, if he were a boxer, was 66 and 0. He didn't lose a single battle, but not because of his strength, but because of his dependence on the God, because he knew how to fight the fight of faith. He loved God and he worshiped God. He loved God with the heart of a worshiper and he fought battles with the passion of a warrior. That was David. Yes, he had pain, but he also understood that it was the pain that was taking him, driving him closer to God and closer to God's word. And he meant he had so much more as king to offer everyone else. The next thing he says is, well, verse 71, listen to this. It is good for me that I am in pain, that I may learn your statutes. It is good for me. It is good. Have you ever been in pain? Thought, whoa, this is good for me. <laughs> Maybe you have, not me. I've never been in a painful season. And all of a sudden, thought, whoa, this is good for me. He said, it was good for me that I were afflicted, that I may learn his ways, that I may learn his statutes. You see, that's wise. That really is wise. I have never, ever, in tough times, thought, man, this is good for me. It's only when I look back on it that I see how it was good for me. It's only when I look at a season now gone and I see what God did with what the devil wanted to use to destroy me. What the enemy wants to use for evil, God will turn around and he'll use it for good. I see how it made me a better pastor. I think I'm humbler. Nowhere near as idealistic as I was when I was a younger pastor. I think I'm far easier on my staff in a good way. I think I'm mellower. I think I'm far more compassionate about other people's journeys. I think I'm far more moved by what's going on in other people's world. If it had all just been good times, I'm not sure I would have growing in those ways. And I don't believe I'd be overseeing what God has me overseeing today. I think about some of our pain. I'm not going to keep you all day on that, but some of it's well known and well written. And one of those significant things was when I was 45, I found out my father, 30 years before that, had been a child abuser. So maybe late 60s, early 70s. I myself was only a teenager at the time, yet I'm still paying for it today, the fallout from that. And it's been painful for me. It's been painful for Bobby. It's been painful for our church. The miracle is our church is resilient and it just keeps going forward and growing and getting stronger. And, but I'll tell you, there was pain involved. With Bobby and I had 10 years of relentless attack from the media in Australia. Not just one media arm, Almost every magazine, television program, radio program, newspaper in the country, relentlessly, trying to prove that I was a con man, trying to prove that this can't be good because Australians are not used to churches that are young and relevant and packed and exciting. Just to them, church is old and boring and irrelevant. And, yeah, and so there's got to be something wrong here. Thank God that's all evened out now and we actually get a fair run. And funny thing is we started getting good press here in America, which makes the Australians look kind of silly. And so that's balanced out a lot, but it was painful. It was painful. It's not nice when you know all the kids from church have to go to school and get persecuted because of the church they go to and who their pastor is. It's not nice to know that. It's not nice to know that Oftentimes you're walking down the street and people are whispering. It's not nice at all. It was painful. But it didn't make me a worse person. I always knew if we just outlasted our critics, we'd come through. And I think we outlasted our critics. And I think we'd come through. And like many of you, 
Like many of you, we've had our, our heartbreaks with people. Most of the team, I mean, we've got an incredible team. Many of them have got big international and global ministries themselves. And they are incredible. But along the way, we all have our disappointments with people. One couple I can think of, they caused me pain for 10 years. And it was all under the surface stuff. Never over the surface stuff. 10 years I lost sleep. Why am I telling you all this? Not because... I wanted to know what was me, but maybe because we all know that Hillsong, the worship goes around the world. We get given a global television channel. We're at a Bible college with 2,000 students in there right now and tens of thousands of alumni from all around the world serving Jesus. And we've got church in 26 countries. Uh, they were telling me today 111 different campuses and in 251 different services. We call it one house, many rooms. And so we see it, 120,000 people, part of a single church. And, uh, oh, you know, all that stuff. But did you know about the pain? It doesn't come without some sweat and some blood. Leadership is bleedership. It can be brutal. It's not a Sunday school picnic. It's not a walk in the park. It's not a sitcom. That's why sometimes pain is increasing you and stretching you and equipping you because you're called to be a heavy lifter. God is beyond your wildest dreams. Beyond your wildest dreams in Jesus' name. We all know Job's story. Job, of course, is the greatest representation of loss and pain in the Bible, the oldest book of the Bible. And Job, the Bible paints a picture of him sitting in the city dump, in the ashes, with a broken piece of pottery, scratching at the pussy festering stores over his entire body. He lost his wife, his children were killed. He lost his livestock, which meant he lost his livelihood. His health was completely gone. He lost everything. And yet in Job 13, verse 15, he said, Though he slay me, I will yet trust him. Would you say that, my friend? This thing may try to slay me, might try to take me out, might try to get me to stop here and camp there or isolate and withdraw a little bit or get just a little bit more disappointed with God. Though this thing slay me, I will yet trust him. In Job 19, verse 25, what does he say? I know that my Redeemer lives. Let's keep on remembering, no matter what's going on in our world, that our Redeemer lives, that God is on the throne. He is the victor. He is the healer. He is the breakthrough. He is the deliverer. He is the new beginning. He is the answer to our prayer. He is the dream giver. He is the church builder. He is the life giver. His name is what? His name is Jesus. Jesus. One last story. You guys can be seated. I'm not John Gray. <laughs> I'm feeling like him for a minute there, though. <laughs> hey, this story, you've got to listen to it. It's about a guy who was out in the park exercising. And suddenly he's confronted by a man in a mask with a knife who cuts him and takes all his money. So they rush him to the hospital. They wheel him into the surgery and he's confronted him there by a man with a mask and a knife who cut him and then they took all his money. <laughs> One was there to take from him, the other was there to heal him. One was there to rob him and destroy him and devastate him. The other was there to give him life and to put him together again. God's not going to use pain to destroy you. He'll never authorize it to break you. He will only ever allow it to make you. He will not. God will not allow pain in your life to devastate. He will use it to empower you. To God, 
Pain is power. He will turn it into power in your life. You'll go deeper into the Word. You'll have more power in your preaching. You'll have more authority on your life. You'll have more credibility with the people because they saw you lead and pastor through a season of pain. God is faithful. We can trust God. There is more in Jesus. There is more in Him. If you believe it, say Amen. Shout hallelujah. Oh, come on, we've got to worship. Can we sing, there is no other name one more time? Is that possible? Let's do it. All the way to back. Let's sing this together. Jesus' name, that you're going to see resurrection life like you never have. It was an amazing thing. The sense of loss that was there on the cross became a sense of life through the resurrection. And there's new life for you. Every person, everywhere who has some level of pain going on in your ministry right now, uh, in your home right now, or in your finances or any other area, and I know there's going to be many of you, just lift your hand right up in the air right now. We're going to pray. We're going to believe God together. And Father, I just thank you. You know our world. Lord, even when from the outside, it looks like everything's well. Sometimes on the inside, there's devastation and there's fallout and there's pain. And I pray into people's pain right now. And I thank God for the peace that is just beyond any understanding we could possibly have. Lord, I just thank you in Jesus' name. You're turning pain into power. Lord, we'll get closer to you. We will dig a little deeper. Your word is going to speak life to us, Father. Answers are going to come from the most unexpected sources. We're going to see you intervene every step of the way. Father, I just thank you right now that you truly can turn this into power. And I speak that power into people's lives. Lord, we thank you that as our capacity for pain is increasing, so is our potential for growth. You've called us to build something great, to be a heavy lifter, Father. And we want to gain more weight from this pain, more strength from this pain, so that we can lift more, so we can be all you've called us to be. We can lead more, Father. We can grow further. You can take us on. You can trust us with all you have for us. Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name. Jesus.
I'm just wondering whether the guys out the back there can put up on the screen for me Lamentation 3, 22 to 24 in the message. Lamentation 3, 22 to 24 in the message. If you can't, it's okay, because Chris Hodges will know it off by heart for sure. Look at this, I want you to read it. Can I have it on my screen here too? Look at it. I'll never forget the trouble. This is what Jeremiah says in this big lament. The utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison of swallowed. I remember it all, oh how well. I remember the feeling of hitting the bottom. Well, listen to it, it goes on. But there's one other thing I remember. And remembering, I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. And listen, this is the part I love. It goes on and says they created you every morning. How great is your faithfulness. Here it is. I'm sticking with God. I say it over and over. He's all I've got left. He spoke about his utter lostness, but he knew that God was all he had left. Amen. Pain is power. God has more for you in Jesus' name.